Today we begin a new sermon series simply entitled The Summer of Psalms. For the next three months, every Sunday, we'll examine a particular psalm. Psalms are poetry. Those poems were put to music. When you hold the 150 psalms in your hand, what you're holding is Israel's worship book. It could be likened to our amazing grace, blessed assurance, victory in Jesus, in Christ alone, oh, praise his name. The song leader could simply stand up and speak the number and the congregation could break out in song. These psalms are emotionally charged. Like all music, music is driven by emotion. And so these 150 psalms are driven by an emotional charge. Sometimes that emotion is sheer joy. Joy over the goodness and the character and the activity of God in our lives and throughout human history. Sometimes the Psalms just simply give us instructions for daily living. Other times the Psalms are dripping with sadness as the author laments a tragedy, maybe an actual tragedy or a perceived tragedy that's happened in his life or the life of the nation. These psalms are not only charged with emotion, but it's important for us to know from the very outset that sometimes uh, when you read the psalms, feelings even outweigh facts. And in many ways, that's how you and I live life. Sometimes what we feel to be true, we believe to be true. So sometimes feelings can outweigh facts and we feel a certain way whether the facts actually add up to that feeling or not. It's also important to note that whenever you read the Psalms, perception is reality. Once again, that's how most of us live our life. What we perceive to be true, that's what we believe is true, even if it is not accurate. But what we perceive, that's what we believe to be true. When you and I read the Psalms, it's always important for us to know that these are passages of Scripture that are emotionally charged, sometimes that the feelings even outweigh the facts, and perception always is reality. And so with all that being said, this morning I want us to begin in one of the most popular Psalms of ancient Israel. It's Psalm 118. The reason I say it's popular is because this is one psalm that is actually repeated and quoted probably most frequently in the New Testament versus any other psalm. So with that in mind, I invite you to take a Bible, turn to the middle of that sacred book. You'll pretty much fall into Psalm 118. So if you'll just uh, find your place in sacred scripture and stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. As today we examine Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. In my anguish I cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. 
All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees, but they died out as quickly as burning thorns. From the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tent of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live. And I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. So open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. With bowls in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. So give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Heavenly Father, we bow before you, and we ask for you to help me to preach. May we be your people who can declare that the Lord is good and his love endures forever. So, Lord, think with my mind and speak with my mouth and overtake my body and help me to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This psalm begins and ends with the same proclamation. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. As a people of God, we are to be a thankful people. We are individuals who worship the Lord. We celebrate before the Lord. We give him all of our praise. Give thanks to the Lord. The Lord is written in all capital letters. That tells you, tells me, that this is the name Yahweh. It's the one true God of the universe. It's the creator, sustainer, and redeemer of life. It is the Lord who is worthy of our thanksgiving and our praise. We give thanks unto the Lord. Why? Because he is good. It's not just that he does good. It's not just that he speaks good, but he is good. So we give thanks to the Lord because he is good. How do you know that he is good? Because his love endures forever. This word love is the Hebrew word chesed. It's the word that means a loyal love. It's a love that always shows up, never lets up, and it always uh, never gives up on you or me. It is a loyal love where God pursues us. This is fundamental and foundational to our understanding of God. Our God is love. And this Hebrew word chesed is found numerous times throughout the Bible. We read of it in Exodus chapter 34, Jeremiah chapter 33, Ezra chapter 
chapter 3, Psalm 136, here in Psalm 118, repeatedly the authors of Scripture tell us that our God possesses a loyal love for you and for me. It pursues us like a hound from heaven. In fact, this understanding of God also translates into the New Testament. It is John who simply says, God is love. To know God is to know this loyal love. To understand this loyal love is to know our great God. And John puts the cookies on the bottom shelf, doesn't he? In John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This understanding of our great God who is good and his love endures forever is foundational to our understanding of God. The reason we worship, the reason we give thanks is because God is good. And the way we know that God is good is because his love endures forever. This is a proclamation that the people of old had to be reminded. Because sometimes they questioned the goodness of God. Sometimes they wondered if his love really would endure. And those people are not too much different than these people, us people today. It's not very much different than, than we are because there are times when we question whether or not God really is good. Is God good all the time? Is, does God love? Does it endure forever? And this psalm was a popular song because it clearly communicated that we give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he is good. How do you know he is good? Because his loyal love endures forever. This psalm was probably written for the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was one of the three high holy holidays on the Jewish calendar with Passover and with Pentecost being the other two. Josephus, the early church historian, says that this was the grandest, the holiest of holidays. I think the reason he said that was because the Feast of Tabernacles always took place in the fall of the year when the harvest came in. When the harvest came in, this agrarian society of Israel would give God glory and praise because of his bountiful uh, provisions, and so they would give thanks unto him. There were many people that would travel to Jerusalem for this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. Once again, you can understand why. Most Israelites were farmers. It was a very agrarian society. And so once the harvest came in, then they had a little bit of spare time on their hands. And payday was always when the uh, crops came in, so maybe they even had some spendable income where they could make the journey uh, from wherever they were uh, to the sacred city of Jerusalem. And so many believe that this psalm was crafted for the Feast of Tabernacles. Even some go so far as to say that it may have been written uh, in or around the Babylonian captivity. Some of you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, listening to my voice saying, Pastor, you just lost me. I don't know much about the Feast of Tabernacles. I don't know much about any Babylonian captivity. Well, let me say this. In about 586 BC, the barbaric Babylonians came into the southern kingdom of Judah. They overtook the entire nation. They destroyed the sacred city of Jerusalem. They deported many, if not most, of the Israelites, taking them into captivity for some 70 years. For a mighty long time, the Israelites were on foreign soil in a foreign land, surrounded by foreign gods. But all the while, they still remembered who they were and whose they were. They remembered that God was Yahweh and he was their God. And so they continued to worship him to the best of their ability. They continued to uh, write psalms of worship and praise unto him. In about 539 BC, King Cyrus of Persia flexed his muscles. He came in and overtook those barbaric Babylonians. And then he gave a decree. He said that the Israelites 
could actually travel back to Jerusalem and they could rebuild their dilapidated city, their torn down temple and reestablish their fortified walls. So it was a person like Nehemiah who led the charge to come back and rebuild the walls, the walls that were in shambles, the walls that were broken down. In fact, the gates of the cities were unhinged. And it's Nehemiah who comes and refortifies the wall. Ezra is the one who is the uh, project manager for the construction of the rebuilding of the temple. And so Ezra and Nehemiah, among numerous others, they come back and they begin this process of rebuilding. And things look better than ever. Can you imagine with me when it came time for some of those first Feast of Tabernacles, after the people had gotten back from their Babylonian captivity, can you imagine the enthusiasm, the excitement? Can you imagine just the thrill that welled up inside of them because they were back home? And for some of these people, they had not been there for 70 years. For other people, they had never been there for they were born in captivity, but they'd heard the stories, they knew how it went, and they could not wait to get back and see it with their own eyes. Can you imagine this sheer excitement and the enthusiasm as the high priest stood up at the Feast of Tabernacles and as the worship leaders stood up and he said, let all of Israel say his love endures forever. Can you imagine the thunderous applause? Can you imagine the sound and the rousing rendition when the, he stood up and said, let the house of Aaron, that's the other priest, let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let all those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. These people understood they had a reason to worship, they had a reason to celebrate, they had a reason to give thanks because God is good and his love endures forever. Now, I realize that we know what it is to get in a large crowd. We know how, large, how a large crowd can be raucous and thunderous. We know it well, don't we? We can well imagine a, a crowd on a Saturday in November packed into a stadium of our favorite little local college town and we can be there or we can watch it on television and we can see people as they go crazy, right? I mean, they're waving their flags and they're yelling at the top of their voice and their neck veins are bulging out of their bodies and they are screaming. And if you're there, oh, it's just overwhelming, isn't it? And I promise you that while that is deafening and while that is loud, and while you can't hear your own self shouting or hear the person next to you shouting because it's so just enormous in volume and sound, it pales in comparison to what was going on at the Feast of Tabernacles. It pales in comparison. The sheer number of people that gathered there were thousands upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people. And when the worship leaders stood up and said, let Israel say, and they knew the line. They knew how to respond. His love endures forever. Let the other pastors and priests in the crowd, let them say, his love endures forever. Let all of Israel, all those who fear the Lord, let them say, his love endures forever. I mean, it would have put goosebumps. Goose, uh, goose bumps on top of goose bumps on your arms. I mean, it would have caused the hair on the back of your head to stand up. And you would have said, yes, this is amazing. Because the people understood that they had a reason to worship. They had a reason to give thanks. Why? Because God is good. How do you know God is good? Because his love endures forever. You know, you and I have a reason to worship this morning. Because God has liberated us. Oh, not liberated us from Babylonian captivity, but he's liberated us from the shackles of shameful sin. 
He's liberated us from the skeletons that pack our closets. He's liberated us from the past, given us hope for the future. Oh, we have a reason to give thanks. We have a reason to celebrate. Because our God, just as in the days of Ezra, he's rebuilding his church so that the best days are in front of us, not behind us. As in the days of Nehemiah, our God is refortifying walls of holiness and gates of righteousness. As in the days of Ezekiel, our God is taking a valley of dry bones and raising them into a mighty army of the Lord. As in the days of Jonah, our God is extending forgiveness time and time and time and time again for anyone who will believe. As in the days of Esther, our God is giving courage to those to stand up for the truth of God in the midst of extreme paganism. Oh, God is doing something great. We have reason to worship and to celebrate and simply give thanks to God because he's good because his love endures forever because there's somebody who shouldn't be here today the doctor told you you only had six months to live but that was 10 years ago and here you are still today and somebody should be here because your marriage should be over but God stepped in and he restored somebody shouldn't be here today because your prodigal is in the far country and you were the prodigal in that far country and you've been doing some stuff you did some stuff and really you should have been knocked out and kept out but God called you and kept you and brought you here there's somebody here to Today that can understand that God is good and his love endures forever. So I just have to say what the ancient uh, worship leader would say as he stood up in front of the crowd, he would say, let all of Pelham declare his love endures forever. Let all of Pelham say his love endures forever. Let all of Pelham say his love endures forever. Let the balcony shout. Good try. Let those on the floor say let the godly guys in the house declare. His love Let the godly gals in the house declare. His love Let the student ministry proclaim. Amen. That's right. You got it. Let all of God's people say. His love Let them hear you on the streets of Highway 31 declare. Let those in the gathering area have to stop and look up and say, what's going on? Because let the world know that we are a people who give thanks to God and we say both now and forevermore, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Now, just because the psalmist says that we worship a good God, that doesn't mean that only good things happen to God's people. So he gives witness of this in verse 5. In anguish, I cried out to you. In verse 10, I was surrounded by the nations. In verse 11, they were on every side. In verse 12, they were swarming like bees. In verse 13, they had pushed me to the brink of failure. I was about to fall. In verses 17 and 18, I was at the point of death. The psalmist is just being real. Perception is reality. Feelings outweigh facts. He says, from my vantage point, it looks like the wicked are winning. From my vantage point, it appears as if the enemy has surrounded me. Maybe the enemy had. Maybe it's just his perception. Regardless, it's his reality. I cried out to the Lord. 
I was in anguish. I was in pain. I was, I was overwhelmed with stress. I was overwhelmed with responsibility. I was in anguish. I cried out to you. I was surrounded. I had so much stress, so many deadlines, so many other things going on. It was like swarming bees swirling around my head. And I was to the point that I was being pushed. I was being nudged over the edge. And I thought to myself, if I get one more thing to do, if I get one more play, uh, thing on my plate, if there's one more request made of me, if there's one more uh, disappointment that comes my way, I'm about to slip and I'm going to fall over the edge. And I was even at the point of death. Life was about to be snuffed out of me. I was about to give up and give in. I was about to throw in the towel. Whether this is reality, whether it's perception, it doesn't matter for him. This is real. He's surrounded by the adversary. It's on every side. There's no way he's going to make. He's full of anguish. He's about to slip and go over the edge. He's about to die. You know how he feels, don't you? You've been there. You understand what it is to cry out in anguish to the Lord, hoping that he hears, hoping that he will answer, hoping that he will show up and show off and fix the day. You know what it is to be in anguish and turmoil for somersaults to be, uh, for butterflies to be doing somersaults in the pit of your stomach. You know what it is to wring your hands. You know, you know what it is to be afraid. You know what it feels like to look on every side and it appears as if the devil is advancing against you. Temptations are great. Uh, difficulty is ever growing. You wonder, feeling pressed and squeezed. You know what it is that if one more thing is added to your plate, it's going to be your demise. If there's one more thing that I have to do, one more deadline that the boss gives me, one more request from my children, one more thing, one more disappointment, one more tragedy, one more phone call, I'm over the edge. You know how that feels. You know what it is to look the doctor straight in the eyes and for the doctor to tell you you have that dreaded C word, cancer. And you, some of you know what it is to be told, get your house in order for you only have a few more months to live. You know what that feels like. You have experienced all of that. The psalmist is right there with you. Just because God is good, that doesn't mean that only good things happen to God's people. But even in the midst of terrible things happening to God's people, God is still good. So even when bad things are happening, God's people still give thanks to the Lord because he's good. And his love endures forever. Did you hear what the psalmist says? He says repeatedly, the Lord is with me. He says that not once but twice. The Lord is with me. He says on three occasions, because of the name of the Lord, I was able to cut them off. Because of the name of the Lord, I was able to cut them off. Because of the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Those enemies that were advancing against me, because of the word of God, because of the name of God, because God was accompanying me, never to leave me or forsake me. Because God was with me, I was able to have success and victory and cut them off. He says repeat. God is with me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. So because of that, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need to remind myself of this proclamation. It's true whether I feel like it's true or not. It is always true. It's here in the scripture uh, because it is true. It's a true statement of the Lord that God is good and his love endures forever 
Some of you know what that feels like, to feel the enemy advancing against you on all sides and for the Lord to be there to comfort you, to guide you, to give you victory and success. The psalmist says, the Lord has become my salvation. His loyal love, it always shows up. It, it, it never lets up. It never gives in. It's always there. It's always pursuing. And the Lord is my salvation. So you get to verses 18 and 19. And he just says, open the gates and I will enter with thanksgiving. You get the impression that this guy can't wait to get to church. Just open the door. Just open the gates and I'll be the first one in. Just open the gates and I'll be there. I can't wait to get to church today, the psalmist says. I can't wait to get there. Just open it up. I will enter with thanksgiving. Because he understood that worship was not an obligation but an opportunity. He was not a consumer. He was a contributor. He came to worship not to get something but to give something. He came not just to sit and soak but to celebrate his Savior. I tell you, he is one who's coming and he's saying, just open the door. Get out of my way. I came. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. But I didn't come to see you guys. I came just to see my Lord. I came just to worship God. I came. So open the door and let me get in. I can't wait to get to church today. Does, does that describe you when you woke up this morning, very rudely as the alarm clock woke you up, you were having sweet dreams. And then the alarm clock woke you up and you stumbled and staggered into the bathroom. You got in the shower, kind of got ready. That kind of woke you up a little bit. Then you, you, know, you had your coffee, you checked your phone, you got ready, you got in the car, you tried to settle down some arguments with the kids. Uh, you finally got here, uh, you got everybody where they needed to go and then you came into the worship service. And I wonder sometimes if as we come into the worship service, do we come realizing that all you got, just, just open the door for me. Just, just open the door and I will come in with thanksgiving. I just can't wait to get there. You know, sometimes people go to church and then they get out of church and then they talk about church. You ever notice that? They go to church, they get out of church and they talk about church. And sometimes people will say, you know, I didn't get anything out of that. I didn't get a thing out of that. I don't know what he was talking about. I don't know why we sang what we sang. I don't know what was going on. I didn't get anything out of that. Now, those kind of conversations never go on at First Baptist Pelham. I get that. I understand that. But I've pastored other churches, and in other churches, I have heard some of those kinds of conversation. And the reality is, you speak to a brother or sister, and they tell you, I didn't get anything out of that. Well, the reality is, it really wasn't all for you, was it? It really was not for you because we don't come to be consumers. We come to be contributors. So the question is, what did you bring to the worship service? Oh, I brought a prayer. I brought a request. I brought a song in my heart. I brought a good attitude. I brought a question. What do you bring to the worship service? What do you contribute to the worship? It's not about consuming worship. It's about contributing to worship. It's not about sitting and soaking. It's about celebrating the Savior. It's not about what you're going to get out of it. It's about what you're going to give into it. See, this psalmist, he understands. He's reminded himself. We are to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And even though he is a good God, it doesn't mean that only good things happen to God's people. Sometimes bad things happen to God's people 
But even in the bad happenings, God is still good because his love endures forever. So because he has chesed, because he has a loyal love for you and for me, just get out of my way, open the door, and I'll be the first one in, the psalmist says. So he declares some kind of familiar words. When he speaks of God being my salvation, he said, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. This God is the centerpiece, the centerpiece of our worship, the centerpiece of our life. He is the chief stone. He is the cornerstone. The God that we worship, the God who is so good, the God who has unfailing, enduring love, he is the capstone. So this is the day the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. I find it interesting. He does not put parameters around this day. He doesn't say, so long as this is a good day, give thanks to the Lord. Or so long as things are going your well this day, give thanks to the Lord. Or so long as you get a promotion and a raise, give thanks to the Lord. Or so long as uh, uh, you have received a benefit today, then give thanks to the Lord. He says, no, this day is a day that has been given by God, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. This day. You know, there's a lot of things that can happen in this day. Tomorrow's going to have a this day. Next week is going to have a this day. Next month will have a this day. And this is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Yes, this is the day when your ball team wins. This is the day when your ball team loses. This is the day when you get a clean bill of health. This is the day when you get a bad bill of health. This is the day when your children please you. This is the day when your children disappoint you. This is the day when things are going well in the marriage. This is the day when the marriage is falling apart. This is the day that the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. This day, every day is this day. This day can be stuffed with a lot of good things and bad things, but regardless, this is the day that the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. Because if you only praise the Lord when this day is stuffed with good things, there'll be many days that you don't praise the Lord. And He's worthy every day. How do you know? Well, we give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he's good. How do you know he's good? Because his love endures forever. Even on the days when it's not going very swell for you. So the psalmist says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Just give me something so I can jump in the parade. Give me a bow. Give me something so I can find myself in the festive procession because I'm going to enter in and I'm going to worship with all that I got. I'm going to worship with everything that I have, even if I, even if I don't feel like it. I'm going to worship through my feelings. I'm, I'm going to worship um, through my experiences. I'm going to worship even if I don't feel like it because there's some days you feel like getting happy in the house. And there's some days that you don't. But this psalmist says, just, just give me, give me a, a, a wreath, give, give me a bow, give me something so I can stand in the parade, so I can be in the festal procession, and I'm just going to praise the Lord. This is a popular psalm. He ends it the same way he begins it. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. This was something that the people of God needed in the Old Testament. This is something that the people of God need today just for us to be reminded 
This is the day that the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is a psalm that is oftentimes quoted in the New Testament. Jesus quotes this one after he told the parable of the tenants where the servants of the master came and they were mistreated. The son of the landowner came and he was mistreated. On the heels of telling that story where Jesus is identifying the servants as the prophets of God who were mistreated by Israel and he's identifying himself as the son of the master who's been mistreated by the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. He says to them, have you not read? Have you not heard? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everybody hearing Jesus that day knew exactly what he was saying. He was claiming to be God. Because in Psalm 118, what the psalmist is saying is the centerpiece of our life is God. He is our salvation. He is the capstone. He is the chief cornerstone. And Jesus has the audacity. And dare I add, Jesus has the authority to say to anyone who will listen, the one the builders have rejected, he has become the capstone and he's talking about himself. As Jesus enters Jerusalem for the very last time of his life, it's the crowd and what do they proclaim? They're proclaiming parts of this psalm. This psalm was noted as a very patriotic psalm. It was one of their favorite songs to sing on the 4th of July. It was one of those favorite songs that they would sing as they remembered the patriotism of Israel. And when Jesus wrote in triumphantly, what did they say? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who's going to bring the security of our salvation. Blessed is he, that king of all kings, who will come triumphant and overthrow the Roman rule. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. At the beginning of the week, they were identifying that this Jesus just might be the long-awaited Messiah. And Jesus did not tell them to pipe down, did he? In fact, when the Pharisees spoke up because the disciples were being so uh, rambunctious and they were leading in the parade and leading in the charge, they said, why don't you quieten down your disciples? And Jesus said, if they are silent, these rocks will cry out. Because actually what they're saying is true and accurate. I am the Messiah and I am the bringer of salvation and I am the capstone and blessed is me for I am coming in the name of the Lord. What they're declaring is right. If they are silent, these inanimate rocks will cry out. When Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 stood before the Sanhedrin after healing the crippled man, the Sanhedrin said, by what power, by what authority did you do this? And they said, well, if you're asking us how a crippled man was healed, then know this. The Jesus that was handed over to you and you crucified and buried and God raised from the dead on the third day. The stone the builders rejected, he has become the capstone. For salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. They had connected the dots. They knew that this psalm was about Jesus. This is not just a psalm of Israel. This is a psalm of the church. This is a psalm of all of God's people. This is our psalm. This is your psalm. It's my psalm. This is a psalm that declares that Jesus is the capstone. He is our salvation. He is the centerpiece of our worship and our life. He is the totality of our existence. So we worship why? We just give thanks to the Lord because he's good. His love endures forever. 
Martin Luther, that great Protestant reformer, said, this is my favorite psalm. Out of all of them, this is my favorite one. The reason is because he wrote, there have been times when emperors, kings, the wise and learned gave me no aid. But this psalm has proven to be a friend and it has, me out, it has gotten me out of many troubles. That's why I love this psalm. What's Martin Luther saying? There were times when I had a bad perspective. There were times when I had a foul attitude. There were times when I was just sitting and soaking. There were times I was just consumer. There were times when I looked around and I saw the enemy advancing against me. There were times when I asked other people, can you make heads or tails about what's going on in my life? Can you make sense of what's happening in my culture? He says, I ask emperors, I ask kings, I ask the wise and the learned, and they provided no help. I read all the self-help books, no help. I tried uh, Dr. Phil and, and uh, Oprah Winfrey, no help. I tried all the gurus, no help. I tried to look at other, no help, no aid whatsoever. But I read this psalm. I read this psalm. I read this word of God. And it reminded me that this was a friend. Because it reminded me that God is good. And his love endures forever. What's the point of Psalm 118? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you real quickly. The point of Psalm 118 is this. That the loyal love of the Lord will last for all time and through all circumstances. The loyal love of the Lord will last for all time and all circumstances. Therefore, praise the Lord. Therefore, give thanks to God for he is good. His love endures forever. There's somebody here who just need to be reminded of that. You come into church today and you question the goodness of God. You uh, question the reality of God. You question whether God's decisions are right and true. You question whether his love can help you uh, go through this scenario or situation. You wonder, is God legitimate? You wonder if it's really real. This morning, I just want to tell you, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. So on those days when people disappoint you, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. On those days when a spouse walks out on you or children betray you, even then give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Even on that day when you get the pink slip, even on that day when you have a financial cutback, even on that day when life is turning upside down, even then give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. On that day, when the vicious curveball happens and you have to bury your child, on that day when you are heartbroken because your spouse cheated on you, on that day when you have so much stress, so much fatigue, so much frustration, even then, even then, you can say as a child of God, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. How do I know this? Because God personified his love on a hill called Calvary 2,000 years ago. And Jesus died. Jesus, who is innocent, Jesus, who was sinless, he writhed in pain. He declared, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? 
That's one of the Psalms. We're going to get to it later in the summer. Psalm 22 is emotionally charged. It's charged with emotion and energy and questions. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God the Father said nothing on Friday. And early on Saturday morning, God did nothing. Saturday afternoon, God, it looks as if he's still twiddling his thumbs. And on Saturday night, God doesn't voice a word. But early on Sunday morning, that loyal love shows up. Early on Sunday morning, God the Father raised God the Son by the power of God the Spirit so that we, as the people of God, can declare, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. May this psalm be a friend to you today. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. And Lord, there are people here with big questions in their minds. They're questioning the love of God. They're questioning the faithfulness of the Lord. They're questioning God, why did you permit this? Why did you allow this? Why am I going through this? And Lord, even on this day, this day which you have made, will you help us to be able to rejoice in it? So Lord, if there's one here who does not know your hesed, loyal love, I pray that today, I pray that today, that they will declare their need for you. Come down this aisle, take me by the hand, say, Pastor, I need this God in my life. For those of us who are here and believers, Lord, I pray that today that we can give thanks to you this day, regardless what happens this day, because you're good and your love endures forever. In Jesus' name, amen.